Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world, listening or watching today's podcast. Um, I'm Adam Parry, the editor of Event Industry News and your host today. And I am joined by Pierre Maitreyer, the CEO of SpotMe. Pierre, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Adam. And that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to start the podcast off, Pierre, I think there's something really interesting. Well, there's two really interesting things about your journey to CEO. Um, one that you actually started as a software engineer is at uh, SpotMe, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. I was, uh, I, I guess I'm still uh, a computer scientist by at least by, by training. And I um, joined and started SpotMe as I was still a, a, a college student in, in Switzerland. Uh, I almost dropped off uh, from college at the time, uh, luckily finished it later. Um, and yes, my, my first job at SpotMe was to write the software, uh, which is an interesting twist because all the other co-founders are actually uh, micro-engineers. Uh, they were more into the hardware stuff, into the radio stuff uh, at the time where SpotMe was actually a, a, device, uh, a device company. That's amazing. So what's the secret sauce then rising to the ranks of CEO? What, what, what's the advice there for everybody listening that wants to make that transition? Uh, so the, the story goes that Spomi was essentially a hardware um, a startup back then. And um, if you are the softy, that's how they call me, huh? you're the guy writing the software in the midst of a, a gang of hardware people, um, you're not like the star, you're not likely, you're always like late to the party and okay. you know, so that's not the cool thing to do. But, um, but I, 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 did, I did stay on and, and what happened in, in, in 2011, uh, in 2011, we actually ditched the whole uh, hardware um, a strategy, and we went full into into SaaS, and and that's when software became um, the only thing that we did uh, at Spotme. Um, so that's no, that's that's not how I, I made it, but um, I, I guess I got very very interested in other things in the business, grew the business, and first in Europe, and 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 then in other continents, um, and then eventually uh, became CEO. That's amazing, man. And I guess then that brings me on to my kind of like second interesting fact is that spot me although it might have been back at the hardware days kind of takes the crown as the official company for the first arguably event app right that the, that the industry saw that back then i think talking before you actually said it actually offered a bit more than than what most event apps happen now so quite an interesting crown yeah, so the, the, the name SpotMe is actually the, the name giving feature and the defining feature of this device that we launched back in, in 2001. And if you think about the type of phones that we had, we had those beautiful Nokias mm -hmm. in, in, in 2001. Um, it, there was no way you could actually install an, uh, an app in there. Uh, so we went on all the way in and building a whole uh, an entire device. And uh, we manufactured those devices. We at one point we had about 10,000 uh, of wow. these, and we were renting them across the across the world, um, and it did all the things that a decent event app would do. It would have like the program, it would have uh, participant, uh, all the it would take your photo. We actually had the photo booth that we would rent, and um, but it had one thing that was very cool, and hence the, the name of the of the company. It would help you. Uh, spot people. So you would go to an event and you would say, I want to meet Adam, uh, John and Jack, and you would pre-select those people from the participant list. And when Adam will be like in my vicinity, my spot me device will vibrate and say, hey, here it is. It will actually show in the latest version, we even had a radar that will actually wow. show you like who was around. It was kind of creepy. 
um, in hindsight. <laughs> but we, we, were, we were engineers and we just wanted to solve the problem of like helping people connect and create meaningful relationship at conferences at a time where the only thing you would, you would, you would get is like a list of names in a, in a name mm. tag. Yeah, listen, I could probably do with that right now because the amount of times that I walked around an exhibition hall and actually been in the same vicinity of people that I know but never actually know that they're there at literally different aisles and you just, you know, you just don't bump into each other. So maybe we'll see a return to that. I don't know with GDPR because people are creeped out a little bit by that kind of stuff, like you say, but we'll, we'll see. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. I mean, for me, you are probably right up there as one of the leading companies when it comes to what we have seen is the explosion of online events, right? Um, I've heard some fantastic feedback from my circles about how SpotMe not only provides fantastic technology, but amazing support, um, which, is, which is really key at the moment with people trying to transition so quickly in such a short, short space of time. Um, so there's a, there's a range of things that I really want your opinion on and, and your thoughts and feelings, both right now and in the future. Um, I guess, what, what's it like to be spot me right now with all this appetite for, for online events? Because I think you said that your, your inbound's like up by 15%, right? And no, actually 15, 15 times. times. Sorry. 15 yeah, yeah, times, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, look, it's, um, it's, an, it's a very fascinating time. And back in, we, we have an office, we have offices around the world. We have one office in Singapore. And, and back in January, when I first got the call from our, from our GM in Singapore, and he was saying, hey, there's this thing where they start to cancel events in, in, in greater China. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm, that doesn't sound. And, and then I was later on in, in February, I was in the midst of a, of a tour. I was touring all our biggest uh, US customers. And then every single meeting I was in, um, <clears throat> the, the client will, would say, excuse me, I have to leave. And then it would come back and say, actually, we're canceling our sales kickoff. We're canceling our user conference. And, um, and then, you know, in early March, it was the realization that perhaps mm-hmm. the, 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 the industry as we had known it was that it was over. And so I had no idea at that time that, you know, this could be the biggest opportunity, uh, the biggest opportunity for us. And the first thing I did back then, I actually called, it's the first thing I did this. I actually called all our competitors. I called all the CEOs of like our direct um, um, competitors. Some of them did not pick the phone, but most of them did. And they were all telling me the, the same thing. We, we're mm-hmm. off. That's it. You, you know, we're dead. Like, uh, and, and, that was, and that was devastating. But what, what happened is we were in that segment, event, event apps, right? That's what, what SpotMe does. Uh, we were in that segment that was really mature. There was a lot of consolidation happening over the years. All the, all the, the, the players like, you know, Quick Mobile and, yeah. and Double Dutch have been acquired and it was all consolidating consolidated into the Seven ecosystem and, and then SpotMe was um, is still the, the biggest uh, pure play event app provider uh, from a revenue standpoint mm. um, we were sort of like the you know in, in that in that club with some others like event base and Attenify and event Moby and and the likes <clears throat> so that industry that segment was very mature um, and the growth was yeah it was a little bit harder to grow 25 percent a year um, and then suddenly you have that, that black swan that, that, that happens. And first you're scared, 
but then very quickly, and we had a bit of a head start. We're going to, I guess, talk a little bit about it later. Um, but then you see this opportunity and then you start, you know, the phone starts to ring. The, the minute you say, hey, we actually got a virtual event platform. Uh, and it's it's there. It actually works, and it's actually we didn't come with we didn't come up with with this like right now. We actually had it for a couple of years. People were like, I need it, I need it, I need it, mm. I need it, and then mm. inbound went to groove. And and I thought it was going to be a fad at first, um, but but now it's it, it 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 continues. It actually grows even faster because there is like consolidation happening. People have tried different things. They understand. They're a little bit more educated, so they know what um, they know what they want. So in in summary, it's super exciting. It's like starting a company, but it's like. Con- compressing like five years. If I think about the first five years at Spalmy, it's like compressing those five years into perhaps, you know, eight weeks. Wow. And uh, the, the beauty is you can apply the learnings and, uh, and, uh, and that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, because just, I mean, it's interesting you call it a black swan moment because I've spoken to other kind of industry professionals who've been talking about technology for such a long, long time. And I think Marco Giberti, you mm-hmm. know, he actually wrote a book and mentioned this black swan moment around event technology. Whether he saw it through a pande- the eyes of a pandemic or what else, I think that's, that's like you say, that's actually happened right now, hasn't it? The, the ability to deliver physical in-person events was taken away on a global scale and organizations had to figure out another way to engage with their, their customers, their, their, their employees, their their the market, but the whole industry. And I, I think you're right. It's it's definitely been that, that black swan moment. But, you know, going on to what you said there, you know, these some of these technologies aren't brand new. They've not just popped up over the last three months, have they? Um, you actually, I think, positioned it really well that there's been this incestuous relationship between events, marketing, and HR. And didn't you before pre-COVID, like 7% of your revenue or so was from online events, essentially, wasn't it? Um, how, how did you see, how did you see it at SpotMe? Did you see it as a as a potential growth market or was it just out of necessity from somebody asking you for that? Yeah, so, so there were two things that were driving online events for us. Um, one is right, really like the need for running a virtual event. Mm-hmm. Um, and that particular need was driven by what was the biggest customers. It, it's a, one of the largest pharmaceutical company in the world. Okay. Um, and their CEO at the time, he's gone now, but their CEO at the time had figured out that like every company in the universe, that they're spending 1% of their revenue in meetings and events. And when mm-hmm. your revenue is 65 billion, well, that's you know 650 million that you're spending on meetings and events. And when he saw that number, I think he, he, he became crazy. And he said, we're canceling all... We can't, we're not doing this thing anymore, wow. right? And everything went virtual. Uh, we're not going to give any names here. Everything went virtual. And we were sort of forced, you know, when you have this 1 million pound client a year that shows up and say, by the way, um, you do virtual or we, we're gone. Um, and, and by the way, we're going to run an RFP just to make sure that you are good enough. Um, you've got to figure something out. So that was back, I think, 2016 or 15 or 16 and that's when we came up with a with a really crude but very effective virtual event product mm. um and that gave us a head start but and that was good and then some other clients especially in the pharma space actually asked for that because it's quite a trend there the second bit the second driver to online events as opposed to perhaps just virtual um is 
<clears throat> clients um, have sort of abused our platform. They take the event app, which is very flexible by nature, and they dismantle it, they rearrange it, they use certain building blocks, and then they came up with um, this thing that they called, I say they because it wasn't our idea, they call it an engagement platform. Yeah. Uh, eventually, we renamed the company Spawnme the event engagement platform uh, or the enterprise event engagement platform, uh, but that's a client idea. And the idea of an engagement platform is that an event is just not two days, but it's like maybe six months, right? Yeah. Maybe an event is part of a greater story where you are, let's say, onboarding people or you're training people or you're getting customers through a journey of acqu acquiring your product to all the way to upgrading your product over the years. And so this, this became a thing where the, our app was being used as a 365 omni-channel engagement platform, not only for the event, but also for a year-round type of engagement. So these were sort of the two things that we had known and done a lot of pre-COVID. Pre so do you think then, going back to your point about your client pulling $650 million worth of I guess event spend, right? That's that, that was probably big chunks to some large events, large sponsorship opportunities. Do you think now we're at risk as an industry of seeing more of that and those companies going, well, if we switch to online, we're more in control of it, we can nurture that customer, we're more in control of the messaging, the cost. Do you think our industry is at risk of huge amounts of budget evaporating mm. from the sector and going online? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So th that, that six, and this is like one fortune hundred, right? So that sort of builds toward the, um, I think the 500 billion or 650 billion uh, that, that the meeting and event, you know, produces uh, globally. Uh, um, so <clears throat> I think, and, and, and actually um, we did the math here at SpotMe and we, we thought, okay, that's going to be, uh, a recession now. Mm -hmm. So budget cuts are, let's say, going to be like, I don't know, in the 60% or 70%, right? Let's be crazy. 70% budget cuts. So, so that's 650 million uh, from that particular company. You know, it, it gets down to that very little chunk. But then most of that money was actually 85% of that money was spent on hotels and airlines. Interesting. Right? Yeah. So even if you do reduce the budget, you still have that chunk uh, that perhaps 30 or 20% remaining. And the only thing they, the, the only investment that needs to be made is, is on the content strategy and on the technology. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, then you see a market that suddenly is like 10 times the size for a company like SpotMe. Um, and, and, and that's, that's the, I guess that's the interesting thing. Now I'm also uh, mindful that you know this is this is tough time for for some other people. So I think we, we also have to be, you know, uh, this is not time for for celebration. But yeah. yes, I'm I'm with you. I think if you're CFO of that company and and I don't know how much they they've cut cut their budget and say you were spending 700 million last year or 600 million last year in meetings and events, and this year you let's say spending 50, right? Mm -hmm. 10 times less. Now, did the company collapse? No. Did the company do less sales? Well, maybe, but it was recession anyway. Or maybe if they are in the pharma sector, maybe they even did more sales, right? So why did we have these things? <laughs> I mean, if, if 
people were able to survive or even thrive with like 10 times the resources, I think there's a risk, you know, CFOs and CEOs out there, um, they, they're just not going to reallocate that money. And that's, that's a big, big risk for the, for the industry, certainly an opportunity for a company like, like mine, uh, but a big risk for the entire event industry. So if you were giving some advice right here, right now to event organizers, agencies, the planners, the people that have for decades and decades and decades created these in-person experiences, and they're going to want to create those in-person experiences once those they can go ahead, what's your advice in order to, I suppose, balance now, is there an opportunity around digital? What should, what, where should they think about skill sets? What should they be learning you know is it how to plug a hdmi uh, into a streaming server and, and you know is that the skill set or what what's your advice where do you see the massive opportunity for the, for the events industry so the, there is one uh, metaphor that i like that i like using after doing a little bit of research and it's the uh, is the retail is the retail industry and uh, if you think of e-commerce if you think about e-commerce and how you know, it was kind of, you know, the new kid in the, on the block and it was kind of emerging. It's been emerging for like, you know, 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. Amazon back in, you know, in 2000, it, it was, it looked like a little bit clunky, but it, it was, it was already a thing, but it wasn't like growing like super fast. Sure. Um, <clears throat> and then suddenly you have this massive adoption and then you have all those barriers that are removed and then you have this explosion of like, who's got the best technology. Um, and, and I think what's happening with, with potentially what's happening with, with events um, is the same thing that, you know, the same transition that retail and, you know, that turned into e-commerce, e-commerce did. And at first it's like a little bit out of, you know, a little bit out of necessity and then people, you know, get used to it. And then they actually really see the benefit. Mm-hmm. And today no one is ever going to tell us like, I really missed the time. Maybe. Right. But most people will agree that the best way to shop is probably, online Life, yeah. and and now if you think about the, disip, the 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 science around e-commerce i mean the one thing that comes to my mind is is digital marketing like e-commerce are you know it's you have you've got to master all the things around ppc around seo around conversion around optimization and, and if you think all that ecosystem is all about this and i think an event you know whether it's an internal event whether it's an external event whether it's a it's a it's a sponsored event this is all going to be about digital marketing. And I think if I was an, an agency or an event planner today, um, I would perhaps not spend too much time learning about, you know, YouTube and Vimeo and OBS, um, but perhaps spend more time on, on digital marketing, because I think that's one of the skill set that today I see is very much, uh, there's very much a gap in the, in the industry. I'd have to absolutely agree with you. And I think first and foremost, not only are there huge amounts of resource and free learning that can be done around that like facebook have their own you know course that you can go through to become facebook certified google do you know any any company that is offering some form of marketing solution offers some form of course either free or paid or quite accessible and you can become certified in those and, and launch businesses off the back of them and i think that plays really well into you know, the ROI element of a physical event. It's a massive challenge that we've always had as an industry to to be able to provide data and information back to a sponsor or, or an exhibitor and say, this is what you got out of it. Now, transfer that online 
And if you have the skill set to understand the data that's coming through from online, engagement rates, click-throughs, you know, follow-on, long-tail um, commerce and things like that, and you can help that customer connect that up with their long-term marketing strategy, then all of a sudden you have everything at your fingertips to be able to prove the value of the event experience that you've created for that customer or part of that customer. So if you think of an online event, the beautiful thing is that not a single click isn't you know recorded i mean unless you've opted out uh, yeah. at the beginning but but most people opt in then you know and and I, I, there is this thing called the intangible roi um i it, and it became frustrating for me over the last couple of years because we were doing i mean which told me a lot of the value that we provide is around like you know um, survey and data and mm -hmm. data that is collected and and we're putting this huge efforts our teams are putting these huge efforts in like collecting the data and people actually you know filling those forms in and then we're doing all those stats and reports and and i discovered that a couple of clients were just like not even opening the files yeah. right they were just and i i remember like a, a big um uh, a german customer we visited and they had i think about 400 uh, session feedbacks it was a large event and we say hey can we talk about this and she said yeah well sure and it's like did you did you show it to your boss who is the head of marketing and she, and she was like what why and i was like well this is what your client are thinking about your main marketing investment of the year it might be a good idea to so okay i could be upset but the reality is we didn't do much to change that but now it's completely different and and i've noticed that people are, I, I, we had a, a conversation with a client um, who is not so much into analytics, uh, but the typical conversation uh, that took place yesterday was like, hey, so do you have data on what's the best day of the week to host my virtual event? And I was like, oh my God, okay. that's like a new world, right? And, and I was like, what? If they're asking these kind of questions now, imagine the kind of questions they're going to be asking in like, yeah. you know, six months. It's going to be like, what's the ideal duration? And um, what's, how do I, is it 20 minutes? Is it 40 minutes? Is it 45 minutes? Is it at eight in the morning? Uh, how many questions? How many questions should the, feed, the feedback form has? All these things become, you know, optimized because for people it's like, this is online. So we can count, we can track it and we can yeah. optimize it and we can become better. Hence the whole thing about digital marketing. And the great thing about online events is that you can iterate really quickly on that before you get maybe to your major physical event, right? Like you could almost have a series of three, six kind of mini pop-up events testing these formats and, and interacting with your audience that ultimately you're going to want to maybe buy tickets to your bigger event or, or funnel into that event which creates all that experience around and test and reiterate and test and reiterate so that when they get to that physical event, they're absolutely blown away and have an amazing experience or even be able to pop people into pockets and go, right, you guys like this type of music and you guys like this type of music. So you go both that way and it's the best experience because it resonates really well with them. It's, it's personalized. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, wow, not to be opening any feedback or, or information. or but Maybe that's one of the biggest opportunities for anybody that sat there going, as an event planner or as an event producer or part of the event team, I don't know where my future value is. Maybe understanding that data and being able to interpret it and then present it back to customers or the company and say, 
my experience tells me that we should do this, this and this. Maybe that's one of the really valuable skill sets as well as understanding digital marketing is actually analyzing data and then putting that into action, right? Um, I, I think that's a, that's a really interesting point that you make there about digital marketing, yeah. And we did, I think we did talk about it uh, before that podcast, uh, you and I. Um, w- one of the things that, the, that we did is as we, we started to you know, get into this, this crisis, um, everyone, there are a couple of companies who have done this before. Uh, so I became really interested in like, hey, what, what happened with, uh, you know, on 24 and Intrado in Expo, um, you know, when they went through the uh, 2007, 2009 financial crisis and, and um, because I was interested in what happens after, right? Mm. I'm trying to think long term. And, and so I talked to people or people who've left, who have been with those companies and left. And one thing I've learned, and it sounded like a, one, a big, big warning sign to me. They told me that they don't sell to event planners. These this people have been doing virtual and online events uh, for, for years. They don't sell. They only sell to marketers other sales because they don't have the necessity and the whole pitch, the whole value proposition is all around, is, is all around digital marketing and conversion and lead generation. It's you hear the pitch. It's like, this is a marketing tool. This is not an event tool. And, um, and I think there's a risk of becoming irrelevant yeah. as a, as an event planner. If, if we don't adapt and, and, and slowly, you know, embrace that, that reality. Maybe the term event planner will evolve and it will mean something totally different. I mean, I don't know about you, but, you know, I think one of the hardest things that I've seen across the globe when it comes to the events industry is that by government it's not necessarily seen as an extremely important part of business and ecosystem when we both know that it absolutely is. And maybe event planner needs to evolve somewhat to better reflect the value that we provide across both physical and digital. Um, I'm really interested to see out of this how people both pivot themselves and their skill sets and add value across businesses. Maybe they go after the big corporates and they go, listen, I can bring my experience in of designing events into the digital world for you and create these experiences online to engage your customers. And mm-hmm. um, we've talked about the event technologist as a as a role right for, for such a long time. And that's probably too broad itself, really. Um, there's probably disciplines within that event division, whether that be physical or virtual. I guess that brings me on to one of my next questions for you, Pierre. Like, what what do you see happening in the near future? And, and before the, we, we went live with this, you put it really, really well. I'm going to read it here. What remains when the tide goes out? Like, who will be the winners and losers, do you think, in, in, this, in this game once physical events can, can go back? Do you see winners and losers? <laughs> yeah, that'd be, a, that'd be a great, uh, I think it was a great line. Great, a great line. Now, the reality is, is a different question. So, um, I mean, what, what, do, what do we mean? I mean, the tide, what's the tide? Is it like when things will go back to normal? I still have clients who are telling me this, like when things will go back to normal. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what we may see is that there is no tide. Um, there's no tide going out, um, you know? And, and it's interesting because you see this flipping right now. Um, people, event planners are all over LinkedIn saying, you know, my government sucks. They're not reopening, right? Yeah. And you see this. 
and then you have other people like in Switzerland where we did reopen, but event so the, so event are still not like really happening. And yeah. then they're like, uh, actually, I think it's people who don't really want to go. And so it's this kind of like, is it government or is it the people? And it's just going to be that blame game. And the reality is that it's going to take, it's going to take a little bit more time. And by the time things will go um, from, from a health perspective, perhaps go back to normal, um, people, people's habits and people's preferences will, would have potentially would have evolved. Um, so I know everyone talks about, everyone talks about uh, virtual and then everyone talks about hybrid um <clears throat> i i do think it's it's i do think it's a real thing though that this ability to uh mix the different things um i i don't think we're going to talk about virtual online digital in person or hybrid i think this is just going to be called an event yeah. um but but that's definitely what's what's going to happen and if i see now um perhaps a good 40% of the requests that we're getting or have a an in-person component associated with it. So, hey, I have my I had this earlier this morning. Um, it's one of the largest uh, French company uh, um, uh, out there. Um, they have their leadership meeting. It's three hundred people. It's hundred people at the headquarter in Paris. They have a huge auditorium for three hundred people, so they could have them going the hundred going there the headquarter and then they have remote a remote audience and then they have mm. uh, hubs etc the usual the usual hybrid uh, but the thing is if you look at it very closely there isn't really a good technology to support that there's a lot of things you can plug and bolt on and kind of you know you kind of figure out but there is no not a single i mean all these tags if you think about streaming for example I was, I was sitting with our product team earlier this morning and most of the streaming technologies, they have some sort of uh, delay, right? Yeah. So, so how do you, how do you get like people, you know, doing stuff like live polling when you know, you've got a 10, 10 second difference. And then there's these other things, which is just like a physical barrier, like, like this French client, you know, was asking like, so what's the best time of the day for the team in Paris to hold the event? Because we've got folks in Shanghai and we've got folks in, and uh, somewhere in the US, I don't remember yeah. where it was. So what's the, so th then the format becomes like um, uh, totally different. And quite frankly, a lot of people, I guess, including ourselves, are saying that we're experts about this, but we're just trying to figure it out. Um, so you're gonna see a major investment in tech to support these um, to support this, this hybrid new type of events. You're going to see a massive shift in formats. And I think it's fair to say that it's the days of having the two-day event is, is gone. They, they're just gone. That's going to be like shorter chunks, much more flexible. You're going to see the yeah. rise of on-demand content, a mm -hmm. lot of it. Um, that's, that's what I see as the, as, the, as the future. And then that engagement platform that stays on the year round, um, whether it's for your own employees or for your customers, um, that's, that's going to be the big, that's going to be the big like place where, where, where the money goes. Yeah. I think, I think in terms of content, you know, coming from it as a publisher myself, you know, we, we see the need or the desire from our audience to engage with new information continuously, you know, on a, on a daily basis, whether that be through newsletters, social media, coming direct to the website. And I think the biggest transition that maybe soul 
dedicated event organizers need to think about themselves is actually switching on to the mind of a, being a, a, a publisher, ultimately. You know, they have great audiences or they build audiences towards these single points in time. And actually, they have a great opportunity to provide value to them all year round through an engagement platform like yours. Maybe that's new content. Maybe that's networking. Maybe that's pop-up events. You know, it doesn't take much to see something regular through the month in different formats that could just continually bring that audience back, right? And then that's a totally different play when it comes to a sponsorship and revenue opportunity for, for that organization. Rather than selling a single event, maybe they sell that company a year-long campaign in different ways through content and you know different things like that. Um, so I, I'm hopeful that out of this pandemic, our industry as a whole will become a lot stronger and actually provide a lot more value in different ways. But I think it's up to us to take our th finger out and, and really drive that through and, and just be willing to change because what happened or the way that the world was three months ago, I don't think we'll ever really, really see again. Um, it brings me on to one of my one of my next kind of questions for you. And it, it comes around, you know, people are extremely careful now these days with privacy. You know, there's lots of technology we use ourselves to create anonymity or to protect our privacy. We're always constantly reminded about cybersecurity and those kind of things. And ultimately, when a participant plays a takes part in an online event now. At the moment, on the whole, for me, it seems to be that by participating in that online event, you become visible to the entire audience through networking and, th and things like that. How do you think that will change? Because one of the biggest challenges there, if we do offer explicit anonymity to anybody, that ultimately that e actually makes it harder for us to drive awareness for our sponsors and the revenue that we have unless we are directly charging the participant and that's where the revenue comes from solely then that, you know the anonymity doesn't matter mm. like have you come across that as a challenge are your customers mm. coming across that as a challenge or what do you think the future might hold around anonymity for participants yeah so if we just take it maybe from a broader uh, a broader perspective so and, and and by the way in in my home country in switzerland there's this thing that we we don't even call it privacy it's secrecy yeah. Right, so we, everything is secret here. So we 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 love that. Everything is secret, and you should not know anything about anybody. And and so it's sort of in the genes right out there. Um, but but the one consequence of I think what you described, and it was initiated by GDPR, but it certainly um, has get, getting more traction and scrutiny with with online events, is that. Um, it's becoming hard. This actually creates some barriers to entry for new technologies. You can't, it's, it's hard. It, I think it's almost impossible now to have a startup and, you know, within six months or even two years to go and sell to any large companies. Mm -hmm. you, you can't, I mean, this is just like practically any companies with more than hundred millions of revenue who is going to buy your tech will send you a 500 question checklist and will ask you for three certifications that probably cost about you know four times your annual revenue there at that time to to get and and so there are bigger barriers to entry due to these information security and privacy uh, requirements so that we that that we've seen now to your question and um, what i've seen is 
it's a bit surprising to, to me because we've always promoted the idea that if you opt in, you, the, the list of participants should be, uh, should be visible. Um, and, and some people come and ask like, hey, can we disable this? And we're like, well, sure, you can make it by default private. And of course, when you opt in to join the app, that's part of the, of the privacy policy and you can decide by yourself to switch that, switch that off. But, but I think um, we, we were talking about the black swan earlier mm-hmm. uh, and I just had a thought is the, uh, the guy who actually wrote the, the book, the, the, the black swan, uh, Nathan Taleb. Uh, he he said he had a tweet the other day. Uh, he said something like, "The main function of a conference is to get a job, find love, corner potential customers during parties, or get a subsidized or tax efficient vacation. Content is merely a side effect. Online conferences need something else." So I think what he's saying is that people may be complaining about this whole privacy thing, but yeah. the real thing they want is to, is actually to to mingle and 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 so. We've got to figure out the technicalities around it, but I think we're going to accept that if we go out there at, a, at an online event, it's it's one of the same reasons why we go to an in-person event is because we, we also want to be seen. We want to see other people. I, I absolutely agree with that statement that you read out there because and I, I almost feel like privacy laws are an unnecessary hurdle that we might have to facilitate, but actually the issue is actually not existent because... As you say, when people go into these environments online, um, they want to network. I, I had an amazing story from an event that's just happened. And I'd be surprised if they ever went back to a physical event because the amount of interaction, the value was all around one-to-one meetings and discussion in, 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 in small groups and things like that and, and facilitating business or, or meeting up with colleagues and things like that. So, you know, my own personal opinion is I'm frustrated that this, problem exists personally i think that unfortunately as organizers or content producers and and platforms you will have to make the ability to be anonymous available but will it be a large proportion of the audience that that choose that i don't think so i think yeah our stats our stats show that it's about seven percent that um that does between seven and ten percent that, that that does opt out from from that, but I guess it depends on the context. Yeah, and then when you consider that online events have a much wider reach and a much more larger kind of opportunity around audience, then okay, that seven percent grows in overall number, but in in consequence, it's it's not that big, right? And and I think um, and I think the it also boils down to like. I, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, there is this this book on the psychology of influence. And this is this Italian, um, American actually, uh, but he's got an Italian name, PhD, who wrote on this. And and I think there's this there are these sort of six things that, you know, help you build persuasion and influence. It's commitment, scarcity, liking, authority, social proof, and reciprocity. And if you look at events, events, in-person events, they're the masterpiece of that, like you, an event that is happening every year, like you've got to go, right? You've booked your flight, you're committed to go to that event. When people say, hey, uh, flat, uh, um, uh, sold out, almost sold out, they're trying to play the scarcity game, right? And um, having the keynote session, this is all about the authority. Um, and when they tell you that uh, 3,000 people registered to, I don't know, Dreamforce, that's just a social proof that you're the only idiot not to have to have registered yet, right? So now try to think about these things for an online event. 
because it doesn't work. You cannot say space is limited. Everyone knows you can. Some people try it, but people know that <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, right? Um, so, so you've got to find other ways. And so if you think about the, the social proof and the, and the authority and all these things, we actually, and in, in, I was discussing this with a product team this morning, and so we were actually trying to do the reverse. We're trying to make people show up more often. So, for example, we have this thing where they, people could clap on the live, uh, on the video feed, right? And we were talking like, actually, we should even put their, their face next, next to the clapping. Because that would encourage people. We, we also like did a little tweak, like when people have sent questions and that question gets selected to be um, a prompt prone to the speaker, we were flashing up that question up on, on the screen as a little ribbon. And we made a little tweak where if you are okay, you can have your name. Yeah, yeah, and people fight to have their names up there, <laughs> right? It's, <laughs> it's, and you play these games and, and then it becomes like a most addictive and people really want to have it. That's, that's something they commit. And I think this is where we're playing those little like influence games. And yeah. these are new avenues for product innovation, but eventually driving engagement and, and, and with, with, your, with your audience. That's amazing, man. I love that. And I think one of the things I've heard as well is about giving speakers feedback as well, because sometimes it can, it can quite distant and most speakers, they vibe off the audience, don't they, in that physical space, they feel the energy and they, they tailor what they're doing and where they're going. Pierre, I, I know you're short on time today and you've got some very important meetings ahead of you. So there's, there's more that I want to discuss with you. I think what I'm going to do, and anybody that's listening to this, I'm going to ask Pierre some questions over email and place these below the podcast on Event Industry News because I'd really like his further thoughts on this. And clearly we need to invite you back for a part two because I think you know, things are going to massively change again in the next three, six, 12 months. And, and it'd be really interesting to see how you've adapted, how your customers have adapted and, and what your thoughts and feelings are and then. But for anybody listening, Pierre, if they want to connect up with you, where's the best place for them to reach out to you from? Is it LinkedIn? Is it Twitter? Where, where do you spend most of your time? Yeah, ping me on LinkedIn. Uh, I've been pretty active lately and it was a lot of fun. And I've, we've, we've started, um, we had a very interesting debate. The latest one I've triggered is on the use of 3D, uh, whether the a virtual event should have a 3D model or it should be like flat. And uh, it's the first time I do a post and I've actually got more comments than likes. And it's, it's pretty cool. So join, uh, join, join us on Twitter. We're having a lot of very interesting debates and uh, looking forward to continue the, the conversation. Well, for anybody listening, I'll link to that post in the, in the show notes for, for Pierre so you can go direct there and see, connect up with him and see that, that discussion. That's actually one of my questions that I've got for you that I would love your opinion on. Like, what does this virtual lobby look like? How do we, how do we create that experience and what does that mean to you? Everybody that's listening, if you've liked today's show, please give it a like, a share, tweet at or LinkedIn with Pierre. Let him know that you've listened in and um, we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Thanks very much, Pierre. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, Adam. Bye.